0: Hi, I'm John Plesnick, Director of the Training Center in Murrieta, California, and you are listening to Train the Church. This is the first season and first episode of a podcast focused on training men in the context of the local church. Joining me around the table today is Chris Mueller, teaching pastor at Faith Bible Church and a man often invited to speak on the topic of training. We're glad to have him today.
1: Hey, great to be here. Can't wait to talk about training.
0: And Nigel Shaler, counselor extraordinaire and a pastor at Faith Bible Church, also viewed often as the wisest among us.
2: Uh That is absolutely not true.
0: (laughs) No, it is. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. we good to be here. Well, the three of us pour significant time into the Training Center, a three-year program of biblical training for laymen to equip them to do the work in the church that God has made them for. And this whole podcast is devoted to the topic of training men for ministry. I thought just in this first episode, we'd explore a little bit of the backstory. So Chris, tell me about your mother. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, all right. Nice so lady. Uh, <laughs> uh, Yeah, she was. Uh, I knew her. Nigel, I know we'll start with you. You led Shepherds Bible College in New Zealand before coming here. Uh, How were you trained for ministry? I don't think I even know that story. What grew your desire to train and invest into others?
2: Well, actually, uh, in regards to the Shepherds Bible College, I was the the vice principal. Uh, So I wouldn't necessarily call myself the leader. In America, that means you give spankings. (laughs) Something like that. Um, but yeah, at the, at the Shepherds Bible College I spent 10 years and uh, uh, I was involved there and teaching a whole lot of classes and, and primarily those classes were uh, directed and purposeful in training men and women for ministry uh, and uh, we attracted students from all over the country and they came in uh, for a year. Uh, to be trained and sent out again, and uh, those were wonderful years. Mm. Um, I did that in connection to a church. The church and the school were on the same campus, and uh, so we had wonderful years of not only training people in our local congregation, but those who were from other parts of the country too. Mm.
0: So it was in that, just in the context of being trained, that your desire for investing in others really grew and flourished?
2: I think so. I graduated from seminary in the year 2000, and uh, and like most guys, I think coming out of at least the master's seminary, uh, thought of my future as being as someone in the pulpit and someone involved in training, although I didn't really know what that really looked like. Uh, and so got to New Zealand, was kind of thrust into this ministry and learned things on the fly. Um, and I'm still learning, uh, but certainly had a great desire to see people faithfully ministering the Word of God in that country uh, and connected to local churches and doing that. So had kind of a general idea of what that looked like, but I think over the years, and even in my time here at Faith Bible Church, that concept of training and preparing uh, people for ministry has developed even more, and Mm -hmm. it's it's been a wonderful, wonderful time.
0: That's cool. I know uh, for me, I was in Washington State, and I really, by God's grace, fell into a church that equipped me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't necessarily where I sought to be at, but God uh, in His kindness put me there, and uh, it started off serving as an intern and being... And joined into a men of God program, uh, where they were we would meet occasionally as men aspiring towards ministry. They offered build classes, which I never hear anything about anymore. But uh, those were great foundational just Bible classes. And that church sent me to seminary, uh, which was for me I don't know about for your experience was masters, but it was Bible boot camp. You know, it was a heavy. Intense and uh, really helpful. It's you know real boot camp in the military gets you in shape uh, in a way that you could do on your own, but would never choose to. Uh, right? <laughs> Dr- that's so what the true. that's what the drill sergeants are there for to yell at you so yeah. that you actually do what you wouldn't want to do on your own. And I felt that way about seminary. They they teach you things you could learn, but you would never choose to invest that much time on your own without. Uh, the, the pressure and force of it and uh, it was really good uh, threw me in with other men of similar conviction and passions theology and uh, when when I got out I think I, I just saw that the need for men in the little church that I ended up in and couldn't help myself you know but I did the, the classic thing that most seminary guys do which is you start teaching them seminary. Uh, which wasn't helpful. Uh, it was bad, uh, which is uh, a whole nother. conversation. I'm sure it wasn't bad. Yeah. It was
2: just not accomplishing what you'd hope.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, we'll, we'll agree
2: to disagree. Okay. So. I think a lot of us, I mean, we're just motivated because we see there's a gap uh, in churches, and the training often is not happening. And so even in those early days, we're trying our best yeah, to uh, to fill that gap and to provide something that maybe we see as a lack or a shortfall in the church. So it starts that way, doesn't it? But mm-hmm. boy, you soon learn that uh, there's better ways to, to do training. Mm.
0: Amen. And Chris, how were you trained for ministry? What grew your desire to train men?
1: Well, I was graciously saved at 18, and immediately into student ministry and to every parachurch organization that existed that actually focused on discipleship so campus crusade campus life and it was just overwhelmingly saturated with discipleship obviously the word was central to all of that the preached word was very very uh, much a, a major the priority but discipleship was the kind of the second punch you know the one-two punch of proclaim god's word teach god's word accurately and then train men. And then by God's grace, I was hired in 1979 at Grace Community Church. I had just started seminary at Talbot, and I was hired at Grace and was there um, uh, for 10 years, the second decade of John MacArthur's ministry. And he had just transitioned from investing into men every Saturday morning to investing into individual pastors. And he happened to set his sights on me, and uh, invested into me personally. It's a sweet time to show up. It was an amazing time to show up. And so, you know, by faith, he stepped into my 72 Exploding Pinto and uh, told me one day, you can ask me any question at any time, and I've been asking him ever since. And so an amazing man of God and an incredible model, and of course, one who at that time had modeled both a incredible commitment to the pulpit and God's Word, but also to training men and so I was infected uh, right away and then I had the privilege of having being impacted by and impacting other men in that context for those 10 years so that was pretty much my life and so when I began to teach some seminary classes it was with the love of instruction but also with the love of discipleship in that process and I was given actually some mandates uh, by my superiors about how to actually run certain classes and make them more of a discipleship oriented uh, process, which then awakened my understanding to how to kind of maybe possibly do that within the context of a local church. And then from there in Spokane, it became uh, men of the word and taking them through Bible and theology and practical theology. And then in Arizona, being able to actually develop this process from that first year to a second year focused on shepherding and a third year focused on leadership and really trying to train laymen to prepare them to understand how God made them. And not just develop them into Christ-likeness, which is a, our major goal, but to actually help them to understand their unique calling. You know, what God had set apart for them and what he wanted them to accomplish. Those good works, Ephesians 2.10, that He's uh, basically prepared beforehand that they should walk in them. Uh, and like it says in Acts 13:36, you know, David uh, fulfilled his purpose in his generation. And so it became kind of a life passion to figure that out under the umbrella of God's word being preached and proclaimed uh, accurately with these author's intended message, then hopefully coming underneath that with the second punch of training men. And so we've been doing that. And now with you two men in this process, it's like a hundred times better. So it's uh, a community of guys working with so many giftedness, trying to develop guys, and then actually having some of our graduates in the process of helping us mentor men just actually accelerates that whole process of helping guys in this process uh, of of training.
0: It's fine. When you're partnered with the right guys, you see how it's so much better together than it could be just left to yourself to do it alone.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because none of us are the perfect trainer, Aye. and we all have blind spots, we mm-hmm. have strengths, but we have weaknesses mm-hmm. where the other guys will fill in. Yeah.
0: I, uh, I can remember certain things that impacted how I now seek to train men. I uh, remember reading the two-volume biography of Lloyd-Jones by Ian Murray, mm. and I uh, talked about his approach to pastoral care uh, being... Uh, to ask questions right to uh, press people to think for themselves uh, to figure out how Scripture applies to their situation and uh, to make people think about it and so I I know sometimes now I can maybe go a little too hard at that uh, pushing guys to think about
2: theology which requires precision Uh, but uh you ask the best questions in class (laughs) That's I mean, you, true. You do press the guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's good. I think they love you for it most of the time. Most yeah, of the most time, time, maybe. Well, yeah. they're,
1: they're usually pretty uncomfortable when he's doing it, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, you know, they do learn a lot. It's
0: good to think through the implications, you know, good and bad, of what you're saying. Yeah. And uh, we often talk without speaking and uh, just gloss over something that's said, so it's good. Well, what, what would you guys are say are some of the things that impacted how you now seek to train men?
2: I think learning over time that lecture doesn't work, um, that training is more than just learning content. And, you know, I spent years teaching content Mm. and, uh, and, and that's valuable. I mean, the guys need to learn sound doctrine. They need to know the word really, really well. So I'm not gonna take those things away, but the way that that's delivered and the way that that's uh, communicated is super important because training is more than just communicating knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so over the years, just learning that, seeing uh, graduates or those that kind of complete a program who know the content but they're no more fruitful in ministry than they were at the beginning, that's just frustrating. And I'm thinking to myself, why did I invest all that time and effort when the fruit of the ministry isn't quite what I intended it to be. So to go back and think, boy, how, how can we do this a different way, was super important. Hmm. That's good.
1: Well, I think for me there's you know, several books, you know, The Teaching Techniques of Christ and the The Training of the Twelve, and actually my study of the Gospels themselves raised that huge question about how did Christ do this. And it actually is so different than when, most guys do in the context of the church. Uh, Christ lived with his men. He modeled, he asked them questions, they asked him questions, he taught, they reacted to what he taught, they interacted with one another, they lived together. And of course, we're so far short of that there was definitely discipleship going on in that process, intentional relationships for the purpose of growth of becoming like Christ, and all that's going on within the context of what the disciples are doing, but having actually our process be closer to that, sharing meals together, spending time together, having them in ministry, having them in the same local church, talking to them, talking to their wives, talking to their kids, interacting with them at every level, watching them in ministry, interacting in class, having them disciple each other, try to actually have a, a, a training environment. Um, that's what really impacted me. As, as I continue to walk down that path and watch that occur, as much as we could imitate what Christ had done in the Gospels and how he trained his men, and I'm of the persuasion that not only everything that Christ said was perfect, but everything he did was perfect, and therefore that's got to be the perfect model. We're probably not in our society going to have 13 guys living with us at our house And so, therefore, how do you cultivate that within the context of the church? That's one of the things that I think is missing in most training environments, where they'll just defer to a lecture and giving them content. And I look at it, the modern, I guess, comparison would be a practice field and a coach drilling them over and over and over, going through various skills so they begin to develop so that when they get in the game, they really run the plays well. Uh, but it's not just memorizing the playbook. It's actually learning about one another, deferring to each other, figuring out what place you run on the field, you know, what position you play. Uh, and of course, I always defer to football. But ultimately, it's a, a great analogy of that's kind of how we function as a church. Mm-hmm. So I think those early days were being overwhelmed by the example of Christ and how he trained his men and seeing if, they, if we could get closer to that. Even the way we educate them. You know, they take exams, and then they write papers, and they have debates, and they interact, and they pray with each other, and they uh, ask questions, and, and they're reminded. We're having them study outside of class and then coming to class and then drilling them
2: over and over again. I think that's part of what is just how that grew up. I don't know about you, John, but I, I remember in seminary where it really was a lecture-style education, the, the things that impacted me most was not a—I don't remember a single lecture or a, a single single I remember lesson. some bad ones. <laughs> well, <laughs> sure. But as I look back, even, no names. even yeah. there, yeah. it was the relationships built with significant mentors, and some of them were seminary professors, some were pastors. But it was those relationships and time spent with those men that had the most impact— Not just personally as an encouragement, but as building conviction for ministry that would come ultimately. Hmm. That's what I look back at, and I think, well, boy, if if that's what it was like for me, then how can I be that or achieve that for someone coming through the ranks?
0: Mm -hmm. Which still, you know, the... To take that to the extreme would be to say, well, we just need to spend time together. I think that the foundation of it was that we were actually united together in study, Mm -hmm. that we were working through theology and language and all those things. And you, at the same time, were building relationships with one another with trust, where you could talk through the things you were wrestling with. And that's really what made it sweet. I think as
1: we asked the guys in seminary, they would say, the guys I was going through seminary with and my professors were... Probably the biggest impact. And again, learning the word and learning theology Which, within the Don't that you context. think, like,
0: it feels, and you, you know, just, just a podcast, you can't see the gray, but it feels, I wonder how much that's true today with all the online availability of seminary classes that, that remove some of the relationship that we all enjoyed as we were there presently and remove some of the uh, student professor interaction that uh, we enjoyed being in class. Yeah, That's a like, really
2: good point. It's like any resource. It can have some good result and good purpose, and then it can have some negative unintended results as well. So, you know, once, uh, once training and ministry lessons become available online, the, the, the positives are that that becomes available for those who would otherwise not be yeah, able around to... Around
0: the world, at a totally. lower cost,
2: there's so many good things. And you want that... Uh, but it should always be supplemental to some mentoring, training relationships that exist on the ground. And so that those men who take advantage of those resources are still getting input from their local church, from someone who's investing in them in a very deliberate way. Yeah,
1: yeah I love how Timothy is exhorted by Paul in 2 Timothy, where he is, it's preached the word, chapter 4. Before he gets there in chapter 2, he says, "...train faithful men who will be able to train others also." I mean, it's a part of what we're to be about. And so we need to figure out, well, what is training? Is it training just a lecture? Is training just this? Is it just preaching it, guys? What is it? Well, it seems to be different than preaching because obviously 2 Timothy 2 and 2 Timothy 4 are two different things. And I think that training is this ministry practice and engaged with a a curriculum of the Scripture and then every means of discipleship and relationship and every other means to try to cultivate Uh, a man who's equipped in God's word and deep in God's word and proven in God's word.
0: Hmm. If y'all could go back in time and undo something in training, uh, what would it be?
1: That's a really good question.
0: Um, I can remember teaching a, uh, Seminary level Greek class in a small church uh, to a mix of people, some of whom were just hungry for Bible study and others who were eager to give their kids a classical education. And uh, (laughs) that was a waste of time. You know,
2: my experience was the same. (laughs) I I just finished, you know, reading through Machen, thought I was Mm. an expert in Greek and taught a class in Greek. And at the end, I'm not sure anyone was that much better off for it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and even if, uh, if they learned Greek and was a- were able to translate at least to a Machen level, is that, is that, is that really the goal? Like, and Obviously, there'd be some in a larger context that might go on to a, 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 you know, some kind of future in Bible translation. That would be awesome. But in that little church, no, that was never going to mm-hmm. be the case. And so was it a good use of time? No, it was misguided, I think.
1: I think mine was, we were in this process here, and our men were doing all the reading. They were reading all of this man's books, all of the philosophy of ministry and counseling. And the, we brought in a, an expert, a, a man very well-trained, very well-known, and he begged me to be able to give a lecture. And I said no, and I kept saying no, and then finally I relented, and it was 30 minutes of snore. Because every single guy had already heard all of it, had read all of it, had already interacted all over it, had actually grasped it, and it was just a, you know, listening to a guy uh, uh, to reiterate what they already knew. There, it, and it was, uh, it was a great lesson to, mm-hmm. to not do that to these men. <laughs> so.
0: But having been there, when they began to role play and he gave feedback on it, that was phenomenal. Incredible, yeah.
1: incredible. They, he'd watch them and then correct them, and it was phenomenal. But when he lectured, it was awful. Mm-hmm. It was just because this, the process had not been set up for that. It was not to dispense information. They already had the information. We just needed to drive it home. Do right. you have a favorite memory from training men? I have a bunch. Yeah. You know, the, the day that um, one of the wives said to me, you know, I used to ask my dad all my Bible questions, and now I ask my husband. Uh, that was a favorite day. Or the man that I wanted to give up on in training repeatedly over because he was the just on the edge of failure, just on the edge of not turning in assignments, just on the always always a struggle, and now he's a very fruitful and effective elder mm. in a church. Uh, I, I mean, I could go on and on. You know, the guy that you just poured your life into and, and now he's pastoring and that kind of thing. You know, uh, graduated from this and then went on to seminary. Uh, and men who are being used in other churches, uh, they become the key laymen in another church. And then the guys in our own church who are so stable, uh, they're not tossed to and fro. They know who we are. Uh, we just have this unusual church where people are not overtly critical. Uh, we don't get a lot of negative, negative response because people will say, well, well, Plesnik is this way or, you know, Nigel's that way or Chris is this way. And, and the men on the patio will go, well, well, yeah, so? I mean, it they, they doesn't go anywhere because they know us. They, they know this process. They know our character. They know we're not perfect, and yet they understand this process of what it means to grow and what it means to uh, train and invest, and so they're super supportive um, and, and, and now recently, just the wives, uh, the, the one wife that I talked to this last semester who said uh, it's killing her that her husband had to step out because of work demands, uh, but she, she's, he's going back. Next, next cycle, he'll be the first guy to sign up, and she's totally committed to it because uh, she thinks that he's meant for other things, and, and she's probably right. And so all those things are just great memories. I think the first one for me was my wife, Jean, walked through the living room when I was investing into some college guys. And she just walked really slowly in the back of this crowd of about 60 guys. And I, I thought that was kind of unusual. And then later after they all left, she said, you, you need to do that. You need to do more of that all the time. You know, and I thought, well, okay. You know, I, I, I loved it, but it was like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I should be doing this, you mm-hmm. know. And I think men of God pastors should be
2: doing this. Yeah, my wife, Serena, says the same thing. She's super uh, supportive of me being involved in training, and uh, she sees uh, me getting excited about that, and she, she gets to share in the fruit of that as well. She's a part of a church where uh, visitors come in and they notice what we get used to, and which is a really solid core of leaders, men and women, who are faithful, they are confident in the word of God, they are able to tackle situations in ministry with uh, great biblical awareness, they know where to go in scripture, they know how to apply it. And, uh, And so visitors come in and I get excited about that. They come in and they're like, how did you do this? And I'm like, I don't know, it just is this way, which is of course not true. But there's a culture that's been developed in the church of uh, confident leaders, lay leaders who know what they're doing, and it has a huge impact on the life of the church. Mm-hmm. And it's visitors who see it mm-hmm. more than more than we do. I think mm-hmm. it's
0: funny. I have the for better or worse. I tend to be the guy who has the conversations with men who aren't continuing in TC. And uh, those are never fun. It's because
2: you ask those tough
0: questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're never fun, but I think what keeps me going is th- that I will hear every two years maybe from one of them to say, hey, I'm so glad that you made me step out and wait and try again. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's hugely encouraging because those conversations aren't fun. I, in my office, there's pictures of all of our trips each year. We do that, you know, when each year we take a different trip and on second year, third year, I'll have one of those later year trips to a different conference hanging in my office. And it's just as a reminder, looking at the guys of just the the fruit that's been born over the years and the maturity that have grown and developed in the men and get to think about the different parts of the nation and world that they're in now, it's hugely
2: encouraging. And we're partners in ministry with these guys. Absolutely. They, they cease being students mm-hmm. and they become friends and partners and these are the guys. I mean. Always get a little emotional when it comes to graduation time yeah. and and you see all all the changes that the Lord has brought in them great tremendous growth and maturity and they just love the Lord more they love the word more they love their families and guide their families in a better way and you see all of that in a very visible fashion it's a very emotional time mm-hmm. I mean I, I love those times I think there's some
1: suppositions too that that most men don't understand when you think about that kind of training process because we're sitting around this table and we're not looking for credit and we're not looking for guys to follow us and we're not looking for guys to esteem us. We actually want them to become like Christ and we want them to be effective for his purposes and his ministry and therefore it's like really freeing. So there's no agenda behind that except that they would honor Christ and follow his word and I think in a lot of training situations, it's like they're trying to build loyalty to themselves or to that church when really that comes automatically when you pour your life and heart into someone. And, and it may not, you know, come back to you in the way that you think you ought to be esteemed. Uh, but there's an element where you see what God has done and give him the glory for that and they do as well and you can't be more excited mm. about what what he accomplishes but i think the, the supposition is is that look this is all about what he's doing in their lives and what what he would accomplish and we're just making ourselves available to be the tools to a- accomplish that process so uh, i yeah i i love this process mm. I, you know watch watch what it does uh, in the life of a church is unbelievable
0: so there's a lot of books written on church ministry, on preaching ministry, on uh, Bible study. There's less written on training. Uh, are there certain favorite books you have on training men, things you recommend to others?
2: Yeah, there, there's a book on discipleship. I forget. It's the one you recommend. Follow after. the Master? Is there's, that the one? Is no. That one, or Training the Twelve. Or It talks about how Je- Jesus, just what you were saying before— Jesus walking and talking with his disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, The Master Plan of... Evangelism, evangelism. evangelism. by Robert Coleman. That, that's yeah. the one. Sure. And it, the title, I think, is misleading. It is. Yeah. Because it's not about evangelism. It's about discipleship. discipleship. And it's about training. I love that book. It's great. Yeah, but we, we need a new book, don't we, Chris?
1: Yeah, we're going to try to write one.
2: I we'll, like we'll the one you one
0: said, though. Like, Following the Master by Michael Wilkins. Yeah. That is
1: excellent. It is an excellent book. And it asks a lot of the questions on... The issue of discipleship. And again, training is not equal to discipleship, Mm -hmm. but it includes discipleship. And so it's a big part of that that most men are uncomfortable with. Uh, Sadly, there are men in ministry who've never been discipled or discipled anyone, and yet that's what we're about, is to see those men become learners of Christ, followers of Christ, and that we have those intentional relationships to, to see that cultivated under a pulpit that honors the word, that teaches authorial intent, you know, that understands the the context of scripture, a strong pulpit. But that's not the totality of ministry. Uh, There's so much more in ecclesiology and in training. And so I like follow the master because it does deal with all some of the gnarly issues with discipleship and answers them really well. Um, Not of our theological persuasion, but pretty close. And there really aren't a lot in that realm. Hmm. So we're, you know, we're, we're kind of grasping it, bit, but I, I love the master plan of evangelism as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Very, very strong and good perspective.
0: Well, uh, guys, we are proof that you don't have to be anyone special to equip others for ministry. Uh, that God can use anyone. Uh, even the guys around this table. Uh, that today is just a little background on how Faith Bible Church's training center came to be and who we are. Thanks for listening. Hope you found it helpful and encouraging. Our next episode is going to be focused on what discipleship is and how that is different than actual intentional training of men for ministry. Uh, that episode should drop next week. We hope you choose to join us again. If you want to learn more about Faith Bible Church and where we serve, you can visit us at www.faith. DashBible.net. Thanks for listening today. Have a great week.
2: See you, John.